You're listening to episode 18 of the podcast, Walking in Discipleship. Your hosts are Pastor John Varis, Pastor Tim Barr, and Alan Brace. This is the second episode on the principle of purity chapter found in, uh, found in scripture both, but in the guide as well called The Walk. Um, on this episode, we're going to be looking at the scriptural guidelines for personal purity as well as uh, some of the other scriptural things, uh, the hope that can be found through scripture. Um, the episode is from chapter nine in our guide, uh, The Walk, and uh, will guide us through this discussion. You know, Pastor Tim, maybe for when we get, start, uh, get started on this episode, we ought to reiterate some of the preliminary discussion that we had from the last episode about the, about the podcast and, and the guidelines for it. Yeah, just a reminder that we're, we're talking about human sexuality. It might not be something every child should be listening to. Um, the second one is a really important reminder. This chapter is intended to help Christians deal with our own personal sin. This chapter was not intended for someone who's been sinned against. So if someone has been abused as a child, if they are a rape victim or something like that, um, first of all, I want to let you know if you're hearing us that we care for you and we are not excusing the sin of the person who sinned against you, but we want you to feel like you can come to us and get the kind of help you need. I encourage you go to a well-trained pastor. We want you to understand that you just can't go to these principles that are intended for someone who is sinning and get the help you need. You need to understand that the Bible also gives hope and help to someone that's been sinned against in a sexual way. Um, and so I, and if you're a mentor and, and you were to be in conversation with someone and that's part of their story, I would strongly encourage you to get some extra um, biblical help in regarding to how to help them. Because if someone has been sinned against, um, especially if they've been raped or something like that, some of these principles could almost sound like um, that the Bible puts that responsibility for choosing that. And that's not the case. They're victims and they should be under, they should be treated in a very different way. So just, I think it's really important that we say that so that we understand what this chapter is intended for. Um, and, and then we can make sure if someone else has a different um, experience that we get them the help they need as well. I imagine that as a uh, as a pastor, each of you as pastors, um, you and and doing counseling of people, that you have found, um, you know, you you've experienced and helped people through this struggle. Um, but in this episode, we're we're going to be focusing more on the scriptural uh, what what scripture talks about this. And let's start with marriage and the scriptural basis for intimacy within marriage. How would we describe that in, I think it's Hebrews chapter 13, where we, where uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, scriptural marriage. John? I think we could start this discussion by defining what biblical marriage is. And um, if I were to give a definition, I, I would say marriage is a covenantal relationship um, in in Christ, and uh, I think um, the Bible makes it clear that marriage is more than a contract. Um, I think society emphasizes this as marriage being a contract, like when you you know break the uh, the deals that you had before you know signing the contract, you are allowed you know to um, 
pay the consequences and you know you are free from that marriage but i guess i think the bible makes it clear that marriage is more than that is a covenant relationship and um i would also add to this as let's not forget that marriage um is or embodies the gospel um for instance the passage from genesis 2:24 when the bible says you know that uh, the man uh, shall unite with uh, his uh, wife and let's be clear marriage is between one biological man and one biological woman just for the sake of uh, the discussion and for the sake of our times um and so paul sees that text from genesis 2:24 uh, and its typological fulfillment in ephesians 5:25 uh, to 27 where apostle paul provides a passage that illustrates how marriage embodies the gospel so for paul marriage serves as a rich gospel image because believers see it in a pattern that connects them to christ saving work and so i think uh, it's it's important to put in context the entire discussion about uh, you know marriage and this is why because marriage is is such an uh, such a major of such a major importance in in our lives as christians and christ followers this is why it's important to remember what Hebrews 13, 4 says, you know, to keep uh, the bed of marriage. I think this is how it would sound in English, undefiled, because it's such a rich gospel image. Yeah, marriage is honorable among all. Um, and I want you to understand that was not a cultural value in the time that the New Testament was written. Um, marriage was in Roman culture more of an economic contract it was far less of a committed relationship. And I, I think it's important that we view marriage as honorable. And I realize our culture doesn't. Um, people have been celebrating for the last about five years that the divorce rate is going down in America. But the divorce rate is only going down in America because you have so much cohabitation where people never got married in the first place. And I think it's important for us to understand that, first of all, we need to reaffirm the value of honoring marriage and the second one is this is understanding that that the sexual relationship between a man and a wife is undefiled it's not evil it's not somewhat gross it's 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 not bad but rather it is something that god has intended um it is a gift it is good and i i fear that um that notion is directly under attack in our culture um, I can tell you, I mean, this has never been my favorite topic to discuss from scripture. Um, and I, there once was a day where we as pastors rarely even discussed it. But today, this is the battle line. I mean, this is what we are facing on a regular basis. Our counseling rooms are just full of these problems um, because we have not honored marriage and people have chosen to take the marriage bed outside of marriage. What are the consequences of that? I mean, what what are the scriptural consequences? And and if we uh, clean up the uh, our lives and and quit doing that, does that excuse us from you know consequences that might have happened if we were you know defiling the marriage by uh, adultery or what have you? Right, so one of my favorite um, biblical illustrations that's helped me is. Um, Remember, um, Jesus is coming into Jericho. He sees um, Zacchaeus up in a tree, little man up in the tree, um, comes home. Jesus says, I want to eat your house. They come home. Zacchaeus, he um, becomes a believer in Christ. 
his sins are forgiven. But what does he do next? He looks at Jesus and says, I'm going to restore to everyone fourfold that which I've taken. In other words, he had already taken, stole their money. Um, so what he realizes, he has to restore the relationship. So he realized they should have gotten interest and all that. And I think he even gives above and beyond. Um, so if you think about it in terms of the words we might use, he was a sinner deserving God's wrath. He then becomes forgiven for his sin when he trusts in Christ, but he still had an obligation to reconcile relationships. Now, there's no guarantee that everyone he went to ever wanted to talk to him again. You see, when we sin, we actually harm and, and break relationships. But what we have is an obligation to go back and restore as many of those relationships as we can. And I feel like it's important for us to understand that when we sin, especially in the areas of human sexuality, it, we have an obligation to do what we can to restore biblically friendships and relationships, but sometimes they're just too broken. So what you're saying is, is if, if, if we've already stepped off that dock and we have, we have failed to this point, we have an obligation to go back and um and restore those but the question then comes is there a hope for us in god's eyes is there restoration in god's eyes and and how does that play out how do we how do we go about that john the bible says that uh, jesus's blood is sufficient to cleanse us from any sin and uh, the emphasis i guess even in our book on page 139 is that he will cleanse us from any sin um and what's so encouraging, at least uh, for me, is what the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 12, that when God has removed our sins, he put them as far as the east is from the west. And I think this is the starting point, knowing that you recognized that was a sin, you sinned against the holy God, but in Christ you can be forgiven. And also, um, it's it's important, as the book says, uh, that you're not you're not, never too late to do the right thing obey today by pursuing a holy lifestyle and god's plans for you are not over and so once you are um, cleansed in jesus blood as pastor tim said you know you you go and restore relationships but yes just be on guard be aware there could be some consequences that you will not be able to Restore, for instance, even like the consequences of sin in your life. If you have lived um, a life in adultery and uh, there could be some diseases even in you, into your body and these, maybe the Lord could heal, um, heal you of them, but that's not the promise in the word. What is promised is that you are forgiven and you have eternal life. Is there is there a way to uh, reform ourselves uh, from you know these types of sins uh, without dealing with the heart? Is the, is the heart matter really the the focal point of this? Yeah, I mean James four a draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Um, you, you, we need to cleanse the outside and stop the outward behavior, but there also has to be a, a changing of the thought process. 
you know, when we talk about the heart, we're talking about where our affections are, where our thoughts engage our emotions. At that point in, in our kind of our ideological makeup, we have to really do some serious um, motive changing. And, and I think that that there is a sense of where at the moment of salvation, there is a cleansing. You're washed, you're cleansed, right? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is the instant, immediate cleansing, but there's also the repetitive cleansing that comes from confession. So if you think in James 4, 8, it's a command to believers to draw near to God to cleanse our hands and to purify our hearts. So there is a sense in where at the initial moment of salvation, there is judicial forgiveness for sins and there's that initial cleansing or sanctification. But along the process, there's also the expectation that we're continually washing ourselves through the word, right? That that we are seeking to be cleansed and so I, I would just say that not only can you be initially forgiven, but even your hands can be um, cleansed. And that means that longstanding patterns can change. Um, broken relationships can no longer be broken. Now, I, I just want to be also clear as we make this statement so as not to be confusing I don't think that 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 this call to restoring relationships means you should restore every relationship. I mean, if you're married now and you had an immoral relationship with someone in the past, I'm pretty sure your husband doesn't want you to go back and rebuild a strong relationship with someone you were immoral with in the past. All right. That's not a good call. Um, Or if you're a husband, you shouldn't be going back. Um, and building a relationship with an old girlfriend, you know, or trolling Facebook to find her. I mean, I'm not arguing for that at all. Uh, but what I am saying is that a lot of times the relation, our sinful choices break relationships that we ought to have and should be and can be restored. Um, the other thing I would say about restoration that's very important is this. We have to go for the maximum amount of restoration after we're forgiven for sin, but realize that not every relationship can be fully restored to what it could have been. Uh, John, I loved what you said is this, if you're involved in sin and, um, and, and you ended up with um, some kind of venereal disease or sometimes sexually transmitted disease, God does not promise that that will go away. Um, and that can have huge implications for your life, but it doesn't mean you're not forgiven But it also means before you're ever going to be able to grow, you're going to have to somehow accept the consequences for your sin and trust that God can still have good for you in the future. So we've talked about specific, you know, to this point where we've we've stumbled, we've sinned uh, and we're, you know, in the in these cases, uh, we need to have forgiveness. But how do we in the long term, how do we. move away from the, from this notion of, of, um, you know, breaking our marriage vows and, and so forth. Doesn't that start with understanding where the, the source of all this comes from? I mean, is, do we have to, don't we have to deal with our internal struggle before we can, you know, have an external victory? Is that, is that a way to, to ask the question, I guess? Yes, I think, um, 
I think we should start with the fact that we cannot uh, resolve these problems in ourselves. I think this is a huge thing. The source of the problem is actually within. And so even though our culture is telling us that, uh, you know, we, we can uh, uh, rehabilitate ourselves uh, if we are going through these steps. I love the American way of doing things like, you know, pragmatics. If you do these five steps, you are going to be free of from these particular problems. But um, it, that's not necessarily how the word of God um, says. And so I think once we understand, yes, we cannot get rid of this sin uh, in our own strength, let's not forget then that the, 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 the heart of the issue is actually the, the heart. And there is uh, the place where um, sinful thoughts and uh, sinful ideas come from. And, uh, Jesus we said in Matthew 15, 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Um, right. And I totally, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, John. We have got to start in the heart with the thoughts. Um, and, I, and I feel like too many people are looking, and I love the word of this book, um, for reformation instead of repentance. Right. Um, Alan, what do you think he, the book means by that? They're looking for reformation, not repentance. Well, they're, they're trying to figure out a way out of their current, uh, their, their current situation, if you will, um, and be made to feel good about it without really dealing with the source of the problem. And I think that's where we're trying to get to is, is point people toward uh, the source of this issue, which is that struggle we talked about, I think, last podcast, that internal struggle that we have between our sinful nature and our desires and what the Holy Spirit really wants for us and, and that, that struggle. We, and to, to win that struggle, we have, to, um, we have to understand that it's there. And, and I think Scripture provides us some ways of, of having victory over that. And, and um, I think that's the direction we're going at this point. All right, John, um, I'd like to read for you a passage from Jesus. And I like when I do this, there's going to be a whole list of sins. And I want you to kind of maybe help us understand, is this list, are we supposed to think of them as individual things or do all these somehow work together in a bad way? Because in Mark 7, 20, he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within out of the heart of men proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications. That's kind of all we've been talking about. But then it goes on to say murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. And then Jesus' summary statement, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. So are they like radically different things or are they like all kind of one thing? Do they work together? How does that work? But obviously, I mean, in, in, in one sense, they are the same because they have the same root. And that is what comes from within. But obviously, the symptoms of these issues are different because thefts have different consequences than, let's say, murders or adultery or greed or deceit. And, and by the way, this is a description of what human nature is. Human nature without Christ, without repentance, human nature trying to reform itself by, by itself in its own strength. And... Uh, the Bible calls all these, these are evil things. 
that come from within and defile the person, which basically these verses begs for the question uh, or, or for the idea that the help does not come from within, it must come from exterior, from the outside. Yeah, and, and that help and any help we're going to get has to be centered in the gospel. I feel like a lot of people think that the gospel is what you believe in to become a Christian, and they don't realize the gospel is what we believe in every moment of our life. It is what we lean on every moment. Um, we are crucifying our flesh, not in our own strength, but we're crucifying our flesh, realizing that Christ died for us so that we no longer live for ourselves. Okay, um, it is we need to live gospel dependent lives. And, and I think it's if we don't, what happens is we end up in this list. And, and by the way, I love the way you said it. This is kind of all comes from the same root. Um, and I got to say that as I've worked with people that struggle with sexual sin, I find that these other sins have ways of popping up in different forms. Well, people say, well, I've never murdered anybody. But remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? You say you never murdered someone, but you hate your brother, okay? Yeah. It's the same sin, but in a different level, in a different form, but it kind of comes to that same root. And I got to say, the further that someone goes into these sexual sins, the more they're going to find the temptation to the other sins. Um, depravity has a way of excusing other depravities. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to be really, really guarded that we don't walk down some of these really bad directions. Now, this leads us to the whole challenge of deception, um, because I think it's very easy to deceive ourselves to, you know, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And by the way, the answer is, but God tries the hearts, right? God knows, but we often don't. Um, so maybe as we think about deception, um, is it possible that someone can be involved in a sexual sin and not know it? I don't think so. Um, probably it's, I mean, it, it, it depends on the spiritual maturity, I would say, of that person. But um, I would say that um, a person does have uh, at least a, a very limited understanding that that's uh, that's a problem. If they if, if that person has been exposed to the gospel in um, I would say in in just a minimal way, it should be very clear that there are some standards and uh, some things that a Christian should not be involved in. All right. So if we cannot be involved, as especially as believers, in the sexual sin and not know it. In what sense are we deceived then? And see, I think that's really at the heart of this whole conversation. See, some people are like, well, um, I'm not deceived. See, the problem is not that we would be deceived in the sense of not knowing what we're doing is wrong. What we are deceived in is believing a lie about what we are doing. And let me give you some of the lies we believe. We believe that we can take fire into our bosom and not be burned. Okay. Right. Right. We believe we could do this sin and not get the consequences. All right. We believe another lie. Um, we could be deceived to think I can control this sin. In other words, I can get this far down this sinful line, but I'll know when to stop. 
right? Or, or maybe another lie that we might believe is we believe that I can be in this sin for a good reason. You know, yes, I'm having, you know, about this, I'm saying this like on behalf of someone else. Yes, I'm having an immoral relationship with this other person, but I'm doing it because they're lonely. And if I were to stop, it would only make their situation worse. In other words, I'm sinning to be a blessing. Um, okay, the, the number of self-deceiving thoughts is what we need to be guarded against. It's not that we don't know we're doing the sin, but rather in these sins, I feel like that we're giving ourselves excuses or rationalizations. And the biggest one of all is this. I just cannot stop. Right. There's no hope for me to stop this. Um, that is the biggest lie of the devil that we believe. How how do you if if I'm a mentor and I'm working with uh, a, a disciple, uh, a mentoree, if you will, how how do we take it to the next step? If it if this person is a professing Christian um, and yet they're unrepentant about this, how, how do we go to the next step with that? Where, where do we go with that? How do we encourage them um, to, to see it from a different perspective? John, is there a, is there a, yes. a way that you can encourage them to move on or, and, and to see it the way the scripture sees it? Yes, and uh, I praise the Lord that in his word, we find a solution. And so once we, we have the theological basis and we, we understand who we are in Christ, the fact that we are clothed in Christ, as Romans 13 says to us, uh, it's crucially important I mean, to continue to read what's, uh, what the Bible says in Romans 13 from verses 13 to 14, where Paul says that we should not make provision uh, for the flesh. And what does that mean maybe in practical things? If you listen to some worldly songs where there are all sorts of images, please stay away from it. Or if you are watching movies and, um, you know, shows on YouTube or, you know, things of that nature. If there are some maybe uh, foolish jokes, vulgar expressions, um, sinful images, or even like maybe uh, inclining towards... um, uh, these sort of uh, sinful uh, images, please just simply stay uh, stay away uh, from it. Or if your computer, um, in a sense, helps you uh, sin, uh, maybe your home computer, you could put it in the living room. Um, if your phone makes you or helps you uh, sin, there are all sorts of applications such as, um, I believe it's called uh, Covenant Eyes or something like that. Uh, and you can be accountable to others. And so there are all sorts of like practical thing, uh, things that we could do to, uh, to make no provisions for, uh, for flesh. Yeah, and one thing I'll say is this. If you're trusting in those human accountabilities to be the solution and you have not changed the heart, I want to say there is no accountability software that, that, you, that will work on someone else's phone or someone else's computer. You can always walk around your accountability. But if your heart is right, accountability and some of these techniques, then not making provision for the flesh things help us be even more wise. 
Um, oh, wait, we're just talking about this. I think we almost shotgun list through a whole series of passages that give us this practical wisdom. In, in 1 Corinthians 5, it talks about this man who is having relations with his father's wife, which is apparently a stepmom. Um, and Paul looks at him and says, you should have been mourning as a church over the sin. I think one of the things, too, is actually grieving sin. Um, here's what a lot of people want is they want um, a sermon where a preacher gets up, preaches on this sin. They want to feel bad for at least 35 seconds. They want to come down in front of the church and pray, and then they can have victory. Amen. I'm never going to do it again. They walk out praising God. They'll never do it again. And then they wonder why on Monday morning they're doing it again. The answer is this. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And we need to live with some sorrow. Um, and I feel like in our culture, there's so many excuses and so much cultural drift that people can be involved in sin and celebrate what they should be sad for. And, and so I got to say this, one of the real practical steps to dealing with sin is mourning it and feeling the loss of it and not being angry at God but but recognizing that that the consequences for your sin have brought deep sorrow and hurt not only to you but to others um being honest with that well and i think it's uh, in addition to that jesus in chapter or matthew chapter 5 talks about uh those who uh look at a woman to lust for her has already committed the sin in his heart he's pretty serious about it i mean he's telling you to pull your eyes out uh and in yeah. you know, a and and He's telling you to cut your hand off if it causes you to, to sin. I mean, it's it's no easy thing, and and there should be, as you said, there should be repentance. There should be sorrow with, with regard to uh, any type of sin, but specifically this kind. Yeah, but thankfully the Lord never told us to get rid of our smartphone and get a dumb phone if we're having a problem with our phone. Amen. He would never expect that kind of commitment out of us. Uh, huh. He just tells us to pluck our eye out. <laughs> A flip phone is, uh, in some people's world, that'd be the same as plucking their eye out, is, is to get a flip phone. On the other hand, if I had to choose between that and sin, I, I'd do, do it. And probably I would just add to this conversation just uh, a word of maybe warning about um, the, the community aspect, especially in the text from 1 Corinthians 5, when you have that uh, man living with probably uh, uh, mother, uh, husband's wife, um, father's wife. And I'm just uh, thinking that the church in Corinth, they were actually proud and arrogant uh, for having these men in, in their midst. And I think if just, just a, a quick word here, if you are in a church that maybe does not preach the word of God in the way the word of God is, and they actually encourage you or they just simply say, you know, you live your life, uh, it doesn't matter how you live in your personal life, uh, it doesn't matter what you do in your own uh, private life, I think there could be uh, a question mark regarding if that is the good uh, and the right church uh, for you. And so uh, I think it, it should be important. I've been part of, I mean, I, I was exposed to these kind of churches uh, in the past, and I, I can't forget uh, the advice that the, the, the pastor of one of those churches, especially when I lived in Denmark, said, you know, I don't care how you live your life or what you do in your private room. As long as things are okay in the exterior or in church or as long as you don't 
affect anyone else is just you. I mean, it, that's your own problem. And I think this is a very, very wicked way of dealing with this. Yeah, I mean, think about um, Joseph in the Old Testament. Our book kind of points us to Joseph. Everything in the Egyptian culture said it was okay to sin with Potiphar's wife. But he asked, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? David lived in a time of great sin, but when he sins with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, it says against you and you only have I done this evil. But he sinned against Bathsheba and her family and the nation. But he realized our first understanding of what makes a sin sin is it's sin against God. And by the way, God sees into our private lives. He sees into our work lives. He sees into our entertainment. He sees into everything. And Honestly, a major way to deal with these sexual sins is get a high view of God and a low view of self. If we remember that he sees and he cares, that really will impact us. Um, Job 31.1, make a covenant with your eyes. Psalm 101, 2 through 4 that's mentioned in the book, walk with integrity in your house, right? Understand that God sees every area of our life and, and we need to be wise in those areas. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of Walking in Discipleship as we've discussed this sensitive topic. Uh, we trust that uh, you have learned some encouragement um, if you have stumbled, um, but we also want you to be uh, aware that there are consequences, that Scripture does um, really urge us to live a life of, of godliness and that we are to uh, work at staying away from this type of sin. We uh, urge you to keep praying for those whom you are discipling. Uh, trying to disciple without the power of prayer is a near worthless endeavor. Uh, and praying for those who are struggling with personal sin and other facets of their discipleship as they walk uh, towards godliness is a vital part of uh, discipling. We encourage you to memorize scripture. Hiding God's word in your heart uh, was the formula that David gave us in the Psalms for not sinning against God which is what we've been talking about today. Well, we trust this podcast has been uh, of value to you. It's been a valuable resource for you as you seek to disciple others. For Pastor John and for Pastor Tim, I'm Alan. So long.